0: Good morning, good morning, hey. Grace of peace. Mike Check. Good. Mike who good to see y'all today. Check. Welcome. Grace of peace. Uh, just want to thank everybody uh, for your uh, words of encouragement and uh, support. Pastor Kurt, thanks for, for leading the charge the last three weeks. Uh, just during my mom's passing, uh, I really, uh, really appreciate uh, everybody. Uh, we are well and encouraged, and I'm very grateful. So thank you all very much. It's good to be back. Uh, so I'm going to begin this morning with a uh, question. Kenny, are you ready? Yeah. What does David say is the number one benefit of being connected to God? The ladies. <laughs> so Pastor Kerr, let's say when he's at his best, when he's writing the Psalms. Okay. For those of y'all who were, um with us during our David study, it's like, David sometimes feels like he's two people. Like when he's in the nitty gritty of life and enjoying the ladies, and then writing the Psalms when he's at his best and his most centered. So, in the Psalms, what does David say is the number one benefit of following God? Nope. Yeah, kind of. Anybody? That he forgives us of our sins, and second, that he heals us. So those are a couple of things are going to kind of be as we turn the page to Mark chapter two today. Those things become inextricably bound together: uh, forgiveness and healing, uh, restoration. It's all. It's all connected, and it, it all. It all matters, and so uh, in that vein. Uh, as we begin our time together i 'm going to read have us pray together or i 'll pray over you uh, psalm one hundred three it 's a it 's a whole column in my bible so it 's a little bit longer but let 's uh let 's see what uh, David is praying here and may uh, and let it be our prayer as well. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord's work, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children, those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you who angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And everyone said,
1: Amen. Well, let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum. and The news of His arrival spread quickly throughout the town. So remember that Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's part of this region where uh, Jews... It's it's the Jewish neighborhood. Um, It's sort of... One of well, It's the largest boom town on the North Shore. The uh, Jews are now selling fish to the Romans. Uh, the Romans grind it up and ferment it, which is about as terrible as I can imagine. Um, but this is a way to make money during the occupation. So Jesus' new ministry center, adopted home, is this Kephar Nahum, uh, Capernaum in Greek. Uh, and his his ministry has just it 's it 's a grass fire it 's taken off uh, people are surprised with the way he 's teaching they 're pumped up they 're pumped up and Some of what I think Jesus fears about the miracles is starting to happen. I mean, remember last week we looked at the fact that he has this love-hate relationship with the miracles. He, He really wants to help people. That's his heart, his passion. But his goal is not to open a hospital. His goal is bigger than that. And he knows that people are addicted, in a sense, to these miracles. Uh, It very quickly turns into, God, do what I tell you. And he's not interested in that. So he tries to come back, verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door. So again, it's, it's mob. It's, it's out of control. But I, I was watching uh, some news yesterday about uh, the votes in Ukraine, or, or the, the Russians now are having this referendum, right? And just imagine how terrible that is. You know, the Russians are occupying you. They're sending you to vote. There's soldiers all over the street. So imagine, you know, in the middle of that, somebody opened a hospital. Uh, that could heal people, take care of people, provide food, safety. Uh, that what kind of desperation would that be to get there? I think that's what you're seeing here. Uh, people are excited about Jesus, but it's just—it's a nightmare that they're living. Um, as he preached the word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd. So they dug through the clay roof above his head. (laughs) Okay. I mean, we've officially gone completely crazy now. Um, in those days, obviously there's no Mayo Clinic. There's no Scott and White. Um, If you have a relative that's been sick their entire life and you think there is a miracle worker from God, this is your one chance. And you're not going to you're not going to take no for an answer. But they're literally tearing down somebody's house and realize these houses are... Are, I won't say everything, but they're like our houses. They're, they're hugely important. Generations and generations will live in the same house. Remember, we've talked about how the father will have the center house and then the sons will build additional rooms. And, you know, in my father's house are many rooms. So after generations, the house does get kind of big um, and you're, you're tearing the roof out in order to get to Jesus. You know, how they got the paralyzed guy on the roof, I don't know. Um, hey, catch! Uh, you know, it, it must have been his brothers, right? <laughs> just, just give him a tug. Um, but how do you not lose your temper as Jesus? Um, because I think he knows how desperate uh, people are in this, this horrible situation. Uh, they lowered the sick man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta love Jesus. Seeing his faith, he said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now this connects to what Pastor Steve was just introducing to us. Our, your sins are forgiven. So let's let's deal with that for a minute. It was the Jewish belief, the, the, the early scriptural belief, that sin was the cause of sickness. But before I, I say that, let me let me put that in, into serious context. When we were created in the Garden of Eden, uh, sin was not a thing, and our bodies were 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 perfect. They they were healthy, like we're going to be when we're resurrected. Part of the sin that affected all of creation has affected our body as well. The reason I have to wear glasses is because my eyes aren't functioning the way God designed them. It doesn't mean that um, because of my sins I can't see, although they would say that in Hebrew. um, You should never study Bible from from a person that can't see. Um, That's what they'll say. So maybe you should get a new pastor. (laughs) But it's like sin has infected all of creation so the reason uh we have hurricanes uh, the the reason uh bacteria and viruses will attack us is not just because we individually have sinned but because all of creation is corrupted and so god is trying to to change that so th- that that's the big picture now do some of the choices that we make lead us to sickness I mean, sometimes it does. I mean, sometimes there is a direct correlation. If you drink until your liver floats, you're probably going to have a problem. Um, You know, just just go down the list. There's abuses that we can do to our bodies that are not not good. Do you want to? I think this is, like, really a complex issue uh,
0: because, like, it's pretty clear when you are, like, David, for example... Uh, you know, For those of us, again, who uh, have just come out of that study last year, uh, David sinned against Bash- sin by taking Bathsheba uh, and then all the sins that followed that. And what was the result of that? Yeah, his son died there was and so it's it's pretty clear that that's the result that 's what the the writer of the book is wanting us to see that there was a loss of life because of david 's sin right now flip over to to uh, John so've got to hold that hold that story on the one hand and then uh, John on the other go to John chapter where are we at. John chapter 9, verse 1, as he went along, this is Jesus, as he went along he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him. Now notice what the disciples are assuming here. Uh, by asking this question, they are, they are holding a particular view of the world. Who sinned? Say, see the blind man? They believe that that blindness is a direct result of sin. Who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind? That's that's tough, right? That they would have that kind of of a narrative in their mind that somebody could could sin even from the womb, right? That's the that would be the only only solution only reason they would ask that question like that is that there would be sin happening in the womb that would lead that could possibly lead this to blindness. But that seems a little unrealistic. So maybe it's the parents that did it. Like, I've actually read accounts of people, uh, who have lost children, um, children that were very young, and that people would come up to them, uh, and ask, uh, what did you do to cause your child to die? Wow. You carry a wrong narrative around in your head and your heart about God, and that's gonna mess you up. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And again, that's beautiful, like in the context of this man who was born blind. But for especially Pastor Curt and Lisa who have lost a child, very, very painful. To say, okay, thanks God, my, my child's gone, and now you're going to display your power in my life? It's kind of hard to stomach, right? So all of this is like really, really, it, it's messy, uh, complex, it's hard. Um, but I think that's one of the, the things that we we fail to understand and grasp is that the pervasiveness and the brokenness of sin from the garden, as Pastor Kurt said, it impacts the world. And what have we seen Jesus do so far in Mark? Every word that Jesus says, every act that Jesus does, it's one step further to pushing back the darkness. Like when you drive out a demon... That is, sin has had its way in some way in that person's life, and Jesus is pushing back the darkness. So here, crazy people, and notice, uh, we almost blow by it. Like what? What releases healing in people's lives? Well, seems as if faith does, but not just the faith of the man that was sick but the faith of his friends who brought him. So it's almost like you want to talk to people like, when you start accusing like, me of my sin, well, why don't you join me in having some faith to let's, let's uh, invite God to push this darkness, and this brokenness back together. So here we are. And in some ways I think it was pretty clear why these uh, four people uh, brought the sick man there. They wanted their friend well. And then Jesus is talking about the forgiveness of sins. Just curious how that might have gone over. (laughs) That's true. That's
1: for sure, right? Do you know what you call what the man's name was? It's important if you think about it. What do you call a man that just lays on a pallet With that's paralyzed, no arms and no legs, Matt. Matt. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just call him Matt from now on. Um, Bob, Bob, Matt, come on! I know it's early. Um. (laughs) So Jesus heals him. By forgiving him of his sins. Now, in David's psalm, who forgives sins? And what did Jesus just do? Again, this is very classic uh, verbinic teaching. Um, the, The way that we should I understand Jesus and the way that um, he, I think God still acts towards us. A lot of times we want Jesus to say, well, you're lucky, uh, Matt, because I am God, and I'm going to forgive your sins today, and you're going to get up and walk. And thus we have it confirmed, you know, I am God, and I'm going to do all these things. But... Jesus, I think, is not only talking about the sin thing, because that's in relation to it, but it's a way that he's going to reveal to all participants here that he is God. Remember, Mark's purpose in all of this is to demonstrate the that the gospel, that the Messiah has come, and the Messiah is the new source of authority in the world. And the way the Messiah, in a sense, is revealing himself is by driving back the darkness. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The the world is getting back the way it's supposed to be. Um, That process is beginning. Now, as we said, Jesus is attracting all sorts of crowds. I mean, this has become the focus of his entire little world in Galilee. What happens to pastors when other pastors get popular? (laughs) I've heard more bad things about Joel Osteen just because he has a big crowd. I don't particularly like Joel Osteen, but we all get a little... Ministers are almost human. We'll get our nose bent out of shape. Well, he's got a big, big following. He must be doing something wrong. So Jesus has attracted the attention now of other rabbis. And this is where we go back to something that Mark really laid out for us. He's, he's taught it to us twice. So Jesus is teaching with authority. Now what does that mean? you remember? It's new no and different. It's new no and different? How is it really, really different? He's the source. He's the source, right. So remember, when they say Shimcha with authority, it means he's not in either rabbinic school. He's not Hillel, the liberals. He's not Shammai, the conservatives. What they're hearing is that he's teaching something uh, different. When he says something, he's not saying, well, my rabbi taught me this, who learned it from this guy, who learned it from this guy, who learned it from Hillel. Jesus is either saying, the Scriptures say, or I say. And people are picking up on this. That he is he in is a different category. And the way they would put it is that this is a biblical level event that's happening. So Jesus goes around and he's doing this. What do you think it's going to do amongst the two schools of thought of the other rabbis? If you're from Shammai or Hillel. Who does this guy think he is? It threatens them it threatens in, in a big way. Because people are listening to his particular interpretation Mm -hmm. as opposed to following one of the camps that's dominating. Now, the best that we understand it, Shammai tends to be dominant in Galilee. Shammai is the more conservative of the, the rabbis, and they're different from the Pharisees. Generally, Jesus encounters Pharisees in Jerusalem. There are some in Galilee, but they're not dominant. So, these are the more literalists um, in in the rabbinic world, and you're going to see them react to him here. So, Jesus has said this great thing, right? Um, My son, your sins are forgiven. So not only is he doing this act of mercy, but as a rabbi, he's also teaching and he's also proclaiming he's Messiah and he's proclaiming the mes- Besorah. This is what I mean. Jesus doesn't just say words. Uh, his his words are volumes. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to him, What? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? So stop for a minute and ask yourself what's the real authority in our world? How do we tell what's right and wrong anymore? Is it when people vote? Is it when the smart people say that it is? When I mean is is it tradition? Is it what, what, what is it? What, what is the ultimate authority in our world, and how do we know it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's Scripture. But in a sense, uh, everybody there listening to Jesus would agree, yeah, of course Scripture is the authority. So again, you have one group of experts that have dedicated their lives to memorizing Scripture, and they know it. And they will tell you from Psalms. It says, only God can forgive. How, how, how can you? Um...
0: Yeah, yeah, or even this, this passage from Isaiah uh, 43, uh, 25. This is God talking. Um, I, even I, am the one who blots out your transgression for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. So, on one level, these people are right, and they hear Jesus say, "This, your sins are forgiven." They know the scripture, and they're like, "This guy is lost. It right? He, he, he is, he is, he is veered too far off the path."
1: And what Jesus is doing, well, is is taking them back to a much older time in their history, uh, frankly, a more biblical point in their history. Remember, a lot has changed for them during the exile when they lost their country and they had to go live in Babylon or other places. During that time, these rabbis arose. And the rabbis were not like priests or prophets or even like David. They didn't get these direct messages from God. What they did is they studied their traditions, they studied the Scriptures, sort of like we do today, and then they would, based on an informed opinion, give you their best evidence or best guess as to what you should do today to apply Scripture. And they're always arguing with each other. They're always challenging each other. Um, And that's why we end up with two schools of thought, really. But it was a very different kind of religious experience as opposed to a prophet coming in town and a prophet telling you, this is what God says. And you either believed it or didn't. These rabbis are used to debating. Uh, They're used to collectively coming to decisions. And so Jesus, even though he he acts in many ways like a rabbi, this is where he he breaks from that tradition. And this is where I think it gets really significant for us. They've known he's a rabbi plus. They knew, you know, he, he understood the scriptures, he could teach in an amazing way. And then they're discovering, oh, wait a minute, uh, he could do miracles, he could do all these things. Rabbis don't do that. And now it's moving to a third level that he is, in a rabbinic way at least, saying, I am God. And this, you guys have hit it on the head, is, is what's going to get him killed. Um, he's not just saying to, he's a prophet. He's what's a, a
0: what's a good give the guys a good like working understanding of what it means when they say he's
1: blaspheming? uh oof. uh Sorry. Uh, time to get up. It's such an egregious sin uh, that you have, in essence, called God bad. Uh, you you have said something. That casts uh, dispersions on on God, and it's it's punishable by death. And so, by him insinuating that he has the power of God or is God, right. he's diminished God in their view. Um, God is not a human. God is not some guy from Nazareth. God is so much more. Um, they they've never seen this. So, how is Jesus gonna gonna answer this? You already know the answer. How do, how do rabbis fight? <laughs> yep. More questions. And so watch, watch what Jesus does. Um, this is blasphemy. Who can God, who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, Why do you think this is blasphemy? And again, so much to that. Why do you think God wouldn't become human? Why do you think God would not stand here with you? Why do you think I am not God? I mean, it's just, it, it. Well, it's so, so brilliant. So again, more questions. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or get up, pick up your mat and walk? So... What's harder here? Um, To release him from sins that maybe he's committed or uh, just as existing as a human, he has original sin that have affected him? Uh, How hard is it to forgive that versus to heal him? And you, you see what rabbis do? I mean, as you answer that question, they're trapped. Which is harder, would you imagine? easy to say you're there's, no there's no proof but the mat getting up and running around that's proof uh, it, it's hard to to get into that and realize again masterful how this is done so Jesus is saying you know this man had faith this man's family had faith and they brought him here look what they did to get him here and you're unmoved by that I mean, Steve does a really good job of of what is God's nature. I mean, he he is compassionate. And so this very act of God has not moved them. What has moved them is someone claiming something that they traditionally have not understood to be true. So they don't rejoice that a person has been healed. They didn't say, oh, praise God, but let me ask you a question. Are you saying... They immediately go to blasphemy. Um, Someone's been helped, but uh, you don't seem to care about that. Someone is about to be helped. That's true. That's true. I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Now this is a phrase that you really, really need to learn in all of the Gospels. I would underline it, highlight it, circle it, son of man. Is this the first time it's used in Mark? I, Do you all remember? I think it is. I'm going to find out why you keep talking. Okay. Today. So in English, if you translate this literally, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, son of a man, we're all son of men. Uh, <laughs> Except for in our new world, maybe that's not true. <laughs> but as the way God created the world, everybody's the son of a man. Well, you know, they're the, the offspring of a man. But anyway, this is a specific loaded phrase that comes out of the Old Testament, specifically Daniel. There was a vision. It is the first time. The yeah, first time. There was a vision. Daniel had at the end of the world uh, in which uh, everybody is being judged. Uh, It is what we also see in Revelation. So the, the book of life is opened up. Hundreds of millions of angels are in attendance. Everybody that has ever existed stands before God, and they're being judged. So in many ways, it was what they expected. But then Daniel sees something in this vision that he's never seen before. He looks at the throne of God, and it's just this incredible light. He, he can't, he knows there's a figure on the throne, but he can't, he can't look at it. It's like staring into the sun. It's so bright but he begins to see a figure standing next to God on the throne and again imagine you're looking into the most incredible bright light all he can tell about the second figure on the th- next to the throne it's not on the throne but it's next to the throne is that it's in the shape of a man now at this point in the bible they're speaking Aramaic Daniel is in Babylon he's Working for the Babylonians, he's been there since he was a teenager, so he is writing in Aramaic. It's the first time the Bible shifts to another language other than Hebrew. So what he says in Aramaic is Bar Enosh, um, the, the son of um, Enoch, uh, or not Enoch, Enosh, um, which is the, the next child of uh, Seth. I'm getting way too deep here, but it's a way of saying it's one of the names for humanity. Enosh is like the failed, uh, the the broken. Um, it's it's a reference to us. So the Jews are suddenly fascinated. Oh my gosh! Our entire history, we have believed there is one God. I mean, that's our basic uh, claim. That you know, there is only one God. But suddenly now, at the day of judgment. Uh, the day of Besorah, the day of the the, the, the coming, the, the, the Messiah, all of this, there's a second power in heaven. That's literally what they say. And so they start looking for this Bar-Inosh. They start looking for the Son of Man. And it is a massive, deep, deep search uh, to find out who it is. So when Jesus says that, it is earth-shattering, uh, and this is Jesus's most preferred title for Himself. He is really saying, uh, "This is who I am." Uh, that He is God, and specifically, the authority that He is doing is judging humanity. This is the context.
0: Yeah, if you look at the passage in Daniel seven, uh, it's it's all. Like Pastor Kurtz been talking about the the authority, and so I saw the I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And so, when the people hear that there in Mark two, all of this stuff gets uploaded in their brain. And he came to the ancient of days; that's God, and was presented before him, and to him. Was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting
1: dominion. So they asked him a question, the rabbis, and they got the fire hose. <laughs> I mean, do you see what I mean? All the places that he has taken them, um, showing his mastery of scripture, his mastery of caring about people. His mastery of knowing God's will—you um. <laughs> win against a rabbi when they have nothing to say. Uh, there, there's no questions. You know their responses. Oh, <coughs> okay. <laughs> they're, they're they're very quiet. And then, like Kurt pointed out to us, uh, we have the showstopper. Um, Jesus then turned to the paralyzed man and said, "Stand up, take your mat." And go home because you were healed. Just to see
0: it distinctly different. He said earlier on, yeah. Then he said get up and go home. Like there's <laughs> this, and then there's
1: here. Two different balls. And he he does do that on, on a number of occasions. Uh, that it's like the disease can be healed, um, but the symptoms, you know, the long-term effects uh, are also to, to be healed. And you sort of see that even in the Old Testament law. Like when a person is healed from leprosy, like we talked about last week, then you've got to go to the temple and you've got to make her sacrifice and all that. So yeah, there does there tend to be a two, two-prong process. So. And, and I think it, it may be
0: like the overarching authority and power of Jesus on display that he can do both of those things. Because when God forgave David's sins, did he, uh, did he relieve David from the consequences of those sins? Heck no. Right? It was bad. I mean, life was bad after that, right? And so when Messiah comes, when the Son of Man from Daniel comes, and we align our lives through faith in him these are the types of things that get unleashed in our lives and in the world
1: questions sorry we're running a little bit late yes sir saying go back talking right. And it's huge, exactly as you say. There's only one that can forgive sins. There's um, only one that can judge us.
0: I'm assuming he made the statement basically because his overall objective here was not healing a guy, although that took place. It was, let's get this question out in the open And settled. I am God.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and then you got to you got to draw your conclusion. I mean, there's this crowd of people around, and then of course, and that's that's what this this section of Mark is all about. Chapter two, if you'll notice, there's four stories, and they all tick off the religious leaders. The people are enamored. What the religious leaders are like, and so there's this tension that all of a sudden starts to get built. And the tension, the tension didn't start when Jesus was driving out demons. The tension starts when he starts making these claims through these questions, right, of who he is.
1: So it leaves us with the question: Who is our authority? I mean, there's there's lots of people in our world that will offer to make that decision for us, but I I believe that's reserved for God. I believe it's reserved for, for Jesus. You know, as much as we pick on uh, these rabbis there, if we were sitting there, would we react any different if a guy came to Bible study and started telling us he was God?
0: <laughs> I would be
1: skeptical too
0: yeah oh, no doubt no doubt because we were... they they were the authority uh, little a uh, the, I mean I heard this one of our seminary professors said, said this and it's like it's really stuck with me because when you read the gospels the Pharisees are bad guys right but if you had a daughter you'd long for your daughter to marry a Pharisee that's who you wanted them to be with because they were the
1: ones that were seen as being closest to God. And they would give the easiest divorce. That's true. It was easier to get a divorce from a Pharisee than a, than a Shemai rabbi. Um, my family was doing that age-old thing, flipping through uh, TV trying to find something to watch, and we're going through Netflix, and they have this show called The Messiah. And it's, you know, this modern day figure that comes in our world. I could get through like five minutes of it because the Messiah looked like a hippie. You know, he wore eyeliner and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Jesus is not coming back and wearing eyeliner. I will be out there beating the drum. This is not the Messiah. And I, I just need some time. I can prove to you that Jesus will not wear eyeliner somehow, some way. Um, but yeah, um, And I should stop, but there's a lot of people running around Galilee that are saying they're the Messiah. And one of the people that puts them in check are the rabbis that say, you're not the Messiah, just just get a grip, bud. Um, But in this case, it is true. So how do we leave room open uh, in our lives? for God really to be our God. Yes, God's never going to defy Scripture. He's going to follow it. And this is why what we do, gentlemen, is so important. Because we really have to know Scripture. Not as people twist it and use it. Not as it's presented to us sometimes devotionally where it's cut up and it's really digestible and it's easy. But getting into the hard stuff like David losing a a child. What is the Son of Man? These hard things because when we know it, then we know Christ. We know God and we can have a better shot. God is at work in our world today as much as He was that day we have to see it and watch it to follow the Holy Spirit um, in in a real way. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, our God, we thank you that we are taught, that we see, that your word is made available to us. We rejoice that all of us will see you one day. That event that Daniel described, we will also be witnesses to it as we stand there with the collective testimony of Scripture and see You before the throne of God, calling out the names of all those that truly knew You. We fervently pray that our sins will be forgiven, that our name will be called out, and we will join You in all eternity. Help us in this life, O Lord, to know that we are sinners. We are affected by sin from our mother's womb Sin has infected us. The only remedy, the only solution we have is You. So we pray that we do accept Your forgiveness. We do know the sacrifice that comes from You. And that as You heal us, we do pick up our mat and we walk. We go to the place that You've led us. Help us, O Lord, to do this today, to be willing to lead another to You. And say, This, this is truly the authority. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.